Good morning. Kids, I am so excited to have you in the room with us today. If you're a kid, just raise your hand. All right. A few adults, raise your hand as well. I like that. That's good. Uh, I, I have three children of my own and uh, a fourth on the way. So we're making disciples the old-fashioned way. Um, and a few, a few months ago, I started using a phrase with my children. Hey, there they are back there. Hi, kids. I love you all. Oh, that's true. They're so sweet. Uh, I started using a phrase with my children to describe to them how much I love them. And uh, Sayla, do you want to come up and tell everybody what phrase I use? Do you want to come up here? Come on up here. Let's invite my daughter Sayla to the stage. And so, uh, you know, we all have these phrases we want to try to communicate. Come walk right here in front of this little, uh, little pool here, baby. Um, keep walking over here. Keep coming. You're doing great. Uh, we, all, we, we, want, we want our children to know we love them. Let's stand up here. Hi, honey. How are you? It's good to see you. Uh, can you want to tell them your name? Sayla. Her name is Sayla. And how old are you, Sayla? Five. She's five. Five and a half. You turn six at the end of the summer, don't you? Yes. Okay. So uh, we, haven't, we have not tested this. This is, uh, this is impromptu. This is, uh, this is on the fly. This is the way we're going to roll today, so buckle up. Um, Sayla, when I tell you, uh, a few months ago, I started saying a phrase when I said I love you, and I say, I love you as, and what, what did I say? As big as the sky. As big as the sky, that's right, good job. Mm, I do love you as big as the sky, and God loves you that much too, so, okay, you can go back and sit down. Can you say thank you to Sayla? And so I started using this phrase, I love you as big as the sky, or I'd say my love for you is as big as the sky, and it's hard to comprehend how big the sky is, right? The sky goes on and on, and astrologers have never been able to see where space ends. It, it, space ends, it goes on forever, and something that big is really hard to, to understand. And so I use this phrase, my love for you is as big as the sky, because I want my children to know that my love for them is bigger than they can comprehend. Well, that's, that is the, same, the same is true uh, of God's love for us. That God's love for us is so big, it can be really hard for us to understand. And so today, I want to remind us of three simple but yet powerful truths, three truths that if we believe by faith can begin to help us grasp God's love for us. This morning, we are, uh, this is our last week of our series, Romans 8. And over the last five weeks, we looked at five truths about our identity in Christ. In week one, we said we are free. In week two, we said we, uh, we, we looked at how we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. In week three, we looked at Romans 8.15 that says that in Christ, we have been adopted into God's family. Last week was the Easter message, the message of redemption, that in Christ we are redeemed. Today, we're going to be reminded of this simple yet life-changing truth, that we are loved by God. We are loved by God. Now, here's the challenge. Many of us have heard this message, God loves you, for a long time. The message isn't new for you. The challenge for you, the challenge for me as well, the challenge for most of us, is really understanding and accepting and grasping His love for us, to allow His love for us, a love that's bigger than the sky, a love that's, that's hard for us to comprehend, to allow that uncomprehend, uh, that love is so big and so un uncomprehendable, I've never tried to use, say that word before, as you can see, and uh, how do we allow that kind of love to influence our daily lives? Well, I hope and pray that we get a fresh glimpse of God's love for us this morning. Will you pray with me? Let's pray before we keep going. I need prayer. Okay, Lord, thank you so much.
for loving us. Thank you for demonstrating your love for us in Jesus. Thank you that John 3.16 says that God loves us, well, God, God loves, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Thank you for your love for us. God, I pray that you would help us to grasp your love, help us to understand your love. And so, Father, I ask you to give us the power here this morning, those of us in the room right now, Lord, give us the power to grasp your love for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's dive into Romans chapter 8. If you've got your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can maybe pick one up on the floor around you, or you can use one on your phone. Romans chapter 8, we're going to pick up in verse 31. Romans eight thirty-one. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Pause right there. I just, just sidebar. I love the reality that Jesus Christ is not only uh, alive today, but he's sitting at the right hand of God and that he's praying for you and me. That should encourage your heart, if nothing else, this morning. Let's keep going. Verse, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. We're, we're willing to suffer whatever it takes because of God's love. No, verse 30, in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you get the sense that Paul is trying to help his readers here in Romans grasp how great and how big God's love for, God's love for, for us is? So I want to identify three key truths in this passage that I think will help us better understand God's love. And if we believe by faith these three truths, I think we'll begin to experience God's love more in our daily lives. The first truth is this, that God is for us. And this is in your notes if you want to keep notes. God is for us. Let's look back at Romans 8, verse 31 real quick. Paul says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? No one is right. God is for us. Here's what I want to do. I want to have a volunteer come up here. I want to have one of, one of the kids in the room. If you are six or seven years old, I'm looking for a volunteer. There we go. DJ, bring your son on up here. Let's uh, welcome a volunteer to the stage. We're going to get his name in just a minute. Little applause, little applause. All right, come on up. How about you come down here this way? Can you walk past there? Great, awesome. Can you step up right there? You got it? Good. All right, what's your name? Daniel. Daniel. All right. Awesome. Thank you for coming up. This is a lot of courage to volunteer. Daniel, um, do you know what this is? Do you know what this is? Pom-pom. It's a pom-pom. That's right. If you look in the reach in there, there's a handle there. I want you to hold that for a minute, okay? All right. Uh, Daniel, what's a pom-pom used for? Um, cheerleading. Cheerleading. That's awesome. The kid in the first service said decorating around the house, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> Uh, you got, Daniel, that's right, cheerleading. Um, do you play any sports, Daniel? Baseball. You play baseball. Well, they don't have cheerleaders in baseball, do they? But you know what, Daniel? When I was your age and throughout my uh, childhood, I played basketball. And I played organized basketball from probably age 6 till 18. I graduated high school. 
And my parents never missed a game. They were always there. My dad had the video camera. You know, remember the big camera with the big, like you had to carry like a suitcase with it to use the video camera. He had that. And then my mom was always cheering. And here's the thing. If you watch one of my videotapes today from one of my games, I was playing as a kid, there'd be a voice that you would hear on that video camera. Whose voice was that? My mom's. My mom was the loudest cheerleader in the stands for her son. And so some of it was per personality, but some of it was because she wanted me to know that she was rooting for me and that she was for me. And Daniel, do you know that God is rooting for you and that he is for you and he is your biggest cheerleader because he loves you? Thanks for volunteering, buddy. You can go back and sit down. Let's give Daniel a round of applause. You know what? Just as my mom wanted me to hear her voice so she knew, so I would know that, that she loved me and that she was affirming me and that she was for me, God, God wants us to hear his voice. And he wants to know, us to know that he is rooting for us. God did that for Jesus as well. In fact, God made sure that Jesus heard his voice. On the day when Jesus was baptized, the scriptures say that when he came up out of the water, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. As best as I can tell through my own personal study and through other scholars, this was likely the very first time that Jesus ever heard the audible voice of his heavenly father. And of all the things that God could have said to Jesus, his 30-year-old son, in that moment, God says, you're my son. I love you. I'm proud of you. Now, why would God do that? Well, there are a number of reasons why God spoke those words to Jesus. But I want to highlight one of the reasons this morning, and that reason is this, because I think Jesus needed to hear it. I think Jesus needed to hear his heavenly father say those words. And some of you this morning, you need to be reminded of these words, that your heavenly father says to you, what he said to Jesus on that day. He was baptized. I like how the New Living Translation reads here in Matthew 3, 17. And a voice from heaven said this, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Maybe that's exactly what you need to hear this morning. Parents, I want to encourage you to speak that to your children. Speak that over them and tell them those exact same words. Tell them that they're dearly loved and that they bring you great joy. I also want to encourage your parents, and kids, you can do this too, as I want, you, I want to encourage you to meditate on this passage. Let me quickly remind you what meditating on Scripture means. There are three basic steps to meditating on Scripture. Number one is to think about it over and over again. I've been thinking about this passage, Matthew 3, 17, over and over again for over five years. Over five years ago, the Lord brought this passage to my attention, and it, it, it's inevitable. Every, every several weeks or every couple of months, I bring myself back to this passage. I open my Bible up, I read this passage, and I, I think about it. I think about the implications that God says those same words to me that he said to Jesus. I want to encourage you to meditate on this verse and to think about it over and over again. The second step to meditating on Scripture is to pray the Scripture. So don't just read it, but talk to God about it. I engage in conversation with the Lord about this. I ask him oftentimes, I want you say this to me. Let me hear you say this to me and, 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 and show this to me. And I'm asking questions about this passage. So you, to pray about it, talk about it. So to think about it, talk to God about it. And thirdly is to live it out. What would it look like to live your day with the reality, with the truth written on your heart that God says to you, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm proud of you. Maybe you can get an index card. Kids, you could do this. You could have your mom and dad help you. Parents, I encourage you to do the same thing. 
Write Matthew 3.17 on it. Write the passage out on an index card. Stick it in your Bible. And every morning when you wake up, read the passage. Think about what it means. Talk to God about it. And try to live out of this truth, this reality that God sees you, He loves you, He calls you by name, and He wants you to live like that. These words reminded Jesus of his uh, of the love his father had for him, and God says the same thing to you and me. That's what Paul's reminding us in Romans 8. Right? Paul is reminding us in Romans 8 that God is for us. And what a difference that could make in our lives if we could just believe that truth, right? Now, he didn't just speak to his son. He didn't just tell us that he loved us. God also demonstrated his love for us. Look at Romans chapter 8 again, verse 32. It says that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I want, you to, pull you, I want to draw your attention to that phrase. He who did not spare his own son. Romans 5, 8 says this, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave up his son for us. Sometimes at dinner time, my family will play the game, what's your favorite? Kids, y'all ever play that game? What's your favorite? What's your favorite color? We'll, we'll play that game around the dinner table. What's your favorite show? Kids, what's your favorite show? If you, uh, how many of you, uh, anybody, any Daniel Tiger fans in here? Raise your hand, any Daniel Tiger? Is that, yeah, all right, a couple of them. Any uh, Curious George fans in here? Okay. Well, that's a couple of shows my kids watch. Um, <laughs> if, I, if any adults raise your hand, we got, we got, we got problems. Um, sometimes we ask, what's your favorite food to eat? Sometimes we ask, what's your, where's your favorite place to go? Sometimes I'll ask my kids, well, what's your favorite toy? Can you imagine, kids, imagine picking your favorite toy. What's your favorite toy? I want you to think about what your favorite toy is. If you had to tell your mom and dad what your favorite toy is, what would that be? Or maybe you're a little older and you think, oh, I don't have a toy, but what's your favorite possession? What's your favorite thing? Maybe keep it in your bedroom. What's the thing you value the most? Could you imagine giving that toy or that possession away to someone just to show them that you love them? By giving us Jesus, our Heavenly Father was giving us His most treasured possession. And He did that so that our sins could be forgiven. And that's truth number two today in your notes. God will forgive our sins. God will forgive our sins. Look back at Romans 8, verse 33. He says this, Who will bring any charge against those who can, who, whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Verse 34, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He says, who will bring any charge against us? The Apostle, the Apostle Paul asked. Who is the accuser? Who's going to accuse you of your wrongdoing, of your sins? Well, Revelation 12 tells us it's Satan. He is the enemy. He is the accuser. That's what he does. He likes to point out to us what we've done wrong, the mistakes we've made. He's a tattletale. What's a tattletale, kids? A tattletale is someone who is always telling mom or dad or telling the teacher when someone else is doing something wrong. Raise your hand, raise your hand kids, if anyone's ever tattletailed on you. Has anyone ever tattled on you? Yes, right? How's that feel? Does that feel good? No, it does not feel good, does it? It does not feel good at all when someone brings up your mistakes and goes and tells, some, tells your mom or your dad or tells your teacher about your, something you've done wrong. We don't like that. It doesn't feel good when the enemy brings up sins that we've committed. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will bring us sins to mind, and he wants us to confess those sins and repent of them. Other times, the enemy will remind us of sins because he's wanting to discourage us. That's what Satan does. And right now, there's some of you sitting in the room, and that's what he's doing in your, in your life right now. 
In your life right now, in this season of life you find yourself in, the enemy is lying to you and he's trying to discourage you by bringing up past sins that Jesus has already paid for. He tells you that God is holding, holding your sins against you. But in fact, Romans 8 says this. Again, look at 33 and 34. I want you to look at the phrase that says, says it is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. What does it mean that we are justified in Christ? Well, a great way to understand the word justify is like this. It's just as if I never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. And that is what Jesus' death on the cross and our faith and trust in him provides for us. We're justified. We're made right with God. Our sins are deleted and no longer remembered. And so while Satan tries to accuse us and tattle on us for all the wrong things we've done and all the wrong things we may do, we have a defense attorney in Jesus. 1 John 2, 1 reads this. My dear children... I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, he's saying, I don't want you to sin. I want you to live a life free of sin, by the way. It's God's desire. It's God's will for your life. Because he wants you to overcome sin in your life. We talked about that in week two and living by the Holy Spirit. But the Apostle John writes an encouraging message. Says, but even if anybody does sin, even if you do sin, we're going to sin. We're fallen, broken people living in a broken world. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And what's an advocate? An advocate is someone who stands up for us like an attorney. Okay, I need another volunteer. Maybe somebody who's um, eight or nine. We've got an eight or nine-year-old? Raise your hand. Who wants to come up? Front row, right here. Come on up here. All right. Where's my mic? All right. How you doing? Good. What's your name? Liam. Liam? It's nice to meet you. I like your t-shirt. Thank you. Um, Liam, how old are you? Eight. Eight. Will you do me a favor and hold this file folder? Okay, just hang tight right there, okay? Liam, do you know what a lawyer is? Yes. You do? Good. The, uh, the, 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 guy in the, the little guy in the first service didn't know what a lawyer was. Kind of, kind of hurts the illustration, you know what I mean? Um, okay, that's a, a lawyer often carries big file folders full of papers, right? Imagine this file represents every sin you've ever committed in your whole life. Every time you've turned away from God and selfishly insisted on going your own way, that's what sin is, it's been recorded right here in this file folder. Ma'am, you got a lot of sins. Um, just kidding. Can you imagine if there was a file like that? If there was a file folder with all of your sins and everything, all the mistakes and everything you've ever done? Wouldn't that be awful? That would be no fun, wouldn't it? Now imagine if you go into a courtroom and you stand before a judge and the judge picks up this file folder of yours and he starts review, reviewing all of your sins. Well, you talk back to your mom and dad, I see here. But then Jesus stands up and says, yeah, but I, I, I'm going to be an advocate for Liam. I, I paid for that. I paid for that one. And the judge turns to the next page and he says, well, you hurt your brother or sister. And Jesus says, yeah, but I, 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 I paid for that one too. And one by one, as the judge starts filing through your folder of all your sins, Jesus stands there and says, hey, I paid for that. Sorry, you can't. And eventually the judge gets done and Jesus essentially walks up to the bench and takes the folder from the judge and says, I paid for all of these. Isn't that neat? Isn't it amazing, Liam, that Jesus paid for all of our sins? That's awesome. Thanks for volunteering. You can go over and sit back down. One of the reasons why it's difficult for us to understand this, especially as adults, is because we live in a world that feels like a courtroom. Doesn't our culture feel like a courtroom sometimes, like we're on trial every day? 
Author and pastor Tim Keller says it like this. He says, every single day we live in the courtroom. We're on trial, and this is the way our identity works, he says. In the courtroom, you have the prosecution and the defense, and everything we do is either providing evidence for the prosecution or evidence for the defense. Some days, he says, we feel like we're winning the trial, and so therefore we feel good about ourselves. And other days, we feel like we're losing the trial, and then we don't feel so good. And we're just moved back and forth by whether or not we're winning the trial or losing the trial. He says, but for the Christian, the trial is over. The trial is over. You can leave, you can leave the courtroom because the verdict is in. He says, goes on right, do you realize that, the, that only in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the only message throughout the whole world, that you get the verdict before the performance? That in Christianity, the verdict leads to the performance. Keller says, we're no longer on trial. We can leave the courtroom. Some of us, some of us in this room, maybe, maybe that's you this morning. That's what you need to hear. It's time for you to get up and to walk out of the courtroom. The trial is over. The verdict is in. Jesus no longer counts your sins against you. That he paid for those on the cross. And that you're free to leave the courtroom. And not only did he pay for our sins, but he promises also to never leave us. And that's truth number three. God will never leave us. In your notes, God will never leave us. Let's look back at Romans 8 again. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Here we go. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that, listen to this, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation, we will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I need one more volunteer. I need one more volunteer. Let me get, uh, uh, who, who was it? We had a little girl. The first, the first one was a little girl, a little boy. I need a little girl. I need a little girl. Maybe uh, seven or eight years old. Yeah? Anybody over here? I, want, I already got one from the front row. All right, right back there. Yes, pink coat. Come on up. Yes, let's do it. Let's give her a round of applause. As she makes her way up, let me get my last prop. Don't see this. Why is it? I don't know what that's doing. Okay, I don't want to, parents, don't worry. <laughs> Just trust me, okay? Just trust me. Come on up here. Come up this way. I'll walk right through here. There you go. Yeah, awesome. And I want you to stand right here. And I'd just be about a minute, okay? Hi, you want to stand up here? Thank you. Hi, what's your name? Rainy. Rainy? I'm Kevin. Uh, I'm Kevin. Thanks for coming up. You want to stand out here? Okay, now here's what I want you to do. Rainy, I want you to close your eyes just for a minute, Okay. And I want you to hold out your right hand. I'm sorry. Okay? All right. Here we go. Don't be afraid, Rainy. Mom and Dad might be afraid, but you don't. Okay. All right. Open your eyes. Oh, no. We're handcuffed together. Listen. I want to prove to you that God will never leave you. So this week, you and I are going to be handcuffed together all week long. Are you excited about that? Wait. <laughs> yes or no? No. Oh! Rainy, that is kind of offensive. Okay. What are we having for lunch today? We don't know? Uh, I don't know. Okay. All right. What side of the bed do you like to sleep on? You like to sleep in the middle? Any side. Any side. Okay. Do you like tomorrow morning? I'm really concerned about this. I like to have breakfast before I take a shower. What about you? Do, you? do you usually have breakfast and then get dressed, or do you get dressed and then have breakfast? 
get dressed and then have breakfast. Oh, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> we'll work it out. We'll work it out. Okay. Now, what does the Bible say about God's love? The Bible says that nothing can separate us. And so wherever we go, whatever we face, whatever the circumstances, God is with us. He'll never leave us and never forsake us. Okay, Randy. Uh, let me get the key. Uh-oh. That's going to be a problem. Um, I don't have the key. I'm just kidding. Okay. There you go. You can go sit down. Thank you so much. I think we should do this kid thing every week. This makes sermons much more fun. Okay. I know that's a silly illustration, right? Really wrap our hearts around and believe that truth. Believes us, that he's with us always. I'm going to turn that one off. I'm going to go to the handheld. That he's with us always. And he's, and no matter what we go through, whether we're going through tough times, whether we're uh, facing discouragement, whether we're in an up or a down, whether other people turn their back on us, whether everyone else leaves us, when we mess up, when we fall short, when we fail, that none of that, none of that separates us from God's presence, that he will never leave us. Okay, so number one, God loves us because he, and he shows it because he's for us. Number two, he forgives our sins. Number three, he will never leave us. I hope hearing those three truths this morning are helpful, but I want to give you something else that I think is helpful. I want to give you a prayer to pray, okay? It's really difficult to grasp God's love for us because it is so big, and this is why in his letter to the Ephesians, the apostle Paul prayed that the Christians would have the power to grasp God's love. Let's we're going to finish up on this. Ephesians chapter 3, it says this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want to, I want to point out two things. Number one, he prays. He says, I pray for you. Here's what I'm asking. He says, now you're rooted and established in love. God loves you. But I pray that you would have the power, and then skip down to grasp. That's the specific request Paul's asking. I pray that you would have the power to grasp how big God's love is. That word grasp there, it means to take in, to take possession of, or to make one's own. Paul says, listen, God's love for you is big. It's high, it's wide, it's long, it's deep. It's so big that I'm praying that you're able to wrap your arms around his love for you. God's love for us, God's love for you and me is so big that it takes the power of God for us to wrap our hearts around it. This is such a great prayer for you to pray for yourself. This is a great prayer for you to pray for your spouse or your children. Parents, if you ever want to know what you should be praying for your kids, write Ephesians 3 down and go pray for your children. It's not enough just to tell them God loves them. You're going to need to pray that they would have the power to grasp God's love for them. This is a great prayer to pray for someone maybe you're discipling or maybe for a coworker or a friend or a neighbor who's a non-Christian and you're hoping they come to Christ. Pray that God would give them the power to grasp how much God loves them. See, God loves us, but that doesn't mean that we've received his love. That's why Paul here in Ephesians 3 is asking God to help these Christians receive God's love, to know it, to experience it, to be filled with his love. Now, in just a few minutes, we're going to baptize a couple of people. And they've made the decision to trust Jesus Christ and accept his love for their own lives. And they're going to make a public commitment that they intend to follow Jesus with this baptism. My question is, what about you today? Will you receive God's love?
Will you believe by faith the truth that God is for you, that he's forgiven you, and that he's with you always? Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for your love for us. And I pray that Ephesians 3 prayer, God, would you give me, would you give my wife, would you give my children, would you give everyone sitting in this room, would you give Genesis as a church family? I want to pray on behalf of our whole church family right now, Lord. Would you give our church family the power to grasp your love for us? Help us to know your love. Help us to experience your love. Fill us with your love, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.